Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. On a scale of one to 10, How stressed are you right now? Did you know that chronic stress can lead to burnout and burnout can have disastrous effects on your fertility and your hormones? Today's guest is an expert in recovering from burnout to fuel your fertility. Kelly Exus is a feminist, city rat, pizza lover, ENFP, and no BS nutrition and fitness expert who's not afraid to share an unpopular opinion on wellness trends. Her mission is simple, to create a world where women stop worrying about their gene size so they have the energy, stamina, and resilience to take down the patriarchy. She is passionate about helping people who menstruate feel empowered in their bodies, and she does this by focusing on healing your connection to self and helping you learn how to be your own best advocate, which starts with how you sleep, eat, manage your mental energy, and move your body. Let's dive in. Hey, Kelly, welcome. I am so excited that you're here. Can you tell the audience uh, what your background is and how you got started in nutrition and more specifically in fertility and postpartum nutrition? Well, yeah, thank you for, thank you for having me. I'm so pumped about being here. Um, okay. So a little bit about me, um, and where things started. I actually, I mean, I started out in advertising, um, much the same way as you actually. And so, uh, I hated it. It was not for me. I felt like I was selling my soul and it was crushing my soul. (laughs) Um, and during that time I was like, you know what, I can't keep doing this. I, I will not, I'm not okay. Um, and so about after five years of being in advertising and bouncing around in like different agencies, I decided to take the leap and, um, get my certification in personal training. I was always interested in fitness and, um, feeling strong. Um, and so I, I got that and then I decided, okay, I'm going to make the switch and go back to school. And so I went back to school in 2010, 2011 for a master's in public health at NYU. 
and I studied community nutrition there. Uh, so the like nutrition policy. Um, and during that time, I was like, you know what? I really like working one-on-one -on -one with my clients. Um, and a lot of my clients were women at that time. Um, so I was getting a lot of pre and postnatal clients for fitness. And it was just something that I always really enjoyed helping women feel like strong, resilient, getting ready to do this life-changing thing. Um, and so I decided to continue studying and go back for the master's of clinical science uh, or in clinical nutrition. And I, then I did the DI and all together, it took like seven years, <laughs> um, but no regrets. No regrets. So after that, um, I, I, you know, after the internship, I was super burnt out. I, I felt it from a mental, emotional standpoint from being like, just not able to cope. And that was, um, when I was in the internship, that was 2020. So that was also during the election, which was a very burnout time of my life as well, which I'm happy to discuss. Um, but I, I was a mental, emotional exhaustion, which led to physical exhaustion, which led to just rampant period problems that I had never experienced before, migraine headaches, um, having to spend like my entire weekend on the couch trying to recover and it didn't even matter. Um, and so at that point I was like, you know what, something is going on here. And so I started delving into the research and just like figuring out what was going on with my body. Um, and you don't, we're not taught that side of things in, um, like any sort of formal education and women notoriously are not, you know, researched or <laughs> there's no funding for women's health research. So it was really about just diving into the, re the research that was there around like, well, it could be this, it could be this. And then kind of tweaking my life to reject a system that doesn't work for me. And that's how, where I started out in terms of my own self anecdotal experience and how it applies to uh, a, a larger population. I think like when we talk about my, my specialty area is burnout. It is the, the physical ramifications, healing the physical side of burnout and hormonal health related to fertility and reproductive health. And it's not just about like baby making, it's about understanding that your reproductive pathway and what it's doing is a sign of your vitality. Yeah. Um, and you're not even getting, you know, like say you do get pregnant and you have a baby, it's not like, you know, all that lack of sleep is going to help your situation any at that point. Right. Yeah, no, it's not helpful. <laughs> I always say that like in terms of nutrients too, it's like, if you're not at a good nutrient status going into pregnancy, you are going to be even worse off afterwards. Absolutely. Depleted in every like sense of the matter. And then, it, it, you know, unable to recover and unable to cope and unable to think straight. Or, and so there's a lot that goes into burnout, like I said before, that is, it's not just being stressed out. Um, and that being said, we live in a culture and a society that isn't one made for women to thrive. Two, we live in a culture and a society that celebrates um, stress. Hustle. 
hate that hustle mentality. Like you gotta, gotta hustle girl boss. Like I freaking hate all that. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, it's an interesting thing because it's so ingrained and our worth is so tied to our productivity and how we measure productivity. And when you have to, full disclosure, I'm a new mom and like, that's really impacted my own career and my, you know, life experience right now. And the part of the journey where I'm at from an anecdotal standpoint, from a personal standpoint is really investigating my uh, relationship with hustle and productivity that I thought, you know, oh, I'm, I'm good. I reject that. But actually, uh, you know, I'm in this phase where it's really being challenged um, because my work is changing and my priorities have changed yet again. And I think that's something that a lot of women also struggle with. They we're fighting so many fronts, um, and this idea that we can have it all and do it all and be a boss, babe, whatever. Sure, we can have it all. I do believe that, but we can't have it all at once, and we certainly can't do it alone. This idea that women are superheroes or moms are superheroes again, that sets you up for failure. We're not, we're not superheroes. We're human beings with needs. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't there that meme where it's like, moms just want help and they're like, you're doing a great job. We don't know how you're doing it. And it's like, we we just want help. (laughs) Um, I've noticed that myself too, um, in particular recently, because, you know, I was always top of my class, always a perfectionist. And, you know, since my, my mid to late twenties and now mid forties, I consider myself a recovering perfectionist or recovered perfectionist. Like, oh, I used to be like that, but I'm not anymore. Totally fine. But like, you know, fundamentally my top, um, my Clifton strength, when you're doing your, your Clifton strength test, um, is achievement. So like, to me, like, achieving is how I define myself. And I've found it really interesting lately to see where those perfectionistic tendencies still pop up where I I thought they were gone. And I, I thought I was cured of perfectionism and it's like really not, you know, it's, and it's, it's those places where I do feel insecurity about, you know, whatever. Um, and those are the places where I feel like I have to be more perfect than, you know, anything. Um, but I really do see that. And I think, you know, it is, there is this pressure, you know, even if it's not external, it's internal, but it is affected by what we see around us and what we see on social media in particular, in particularly, I think, you know, we're, we're constantly driving to, you know, even that messaging around like being our best selves. Um, you know, it's like, well, maybe I don't feel like being my best self today. Maybe I feel like chilling out with some Netflix, you know? And some, maybe our best selves can be dynamic. Mm-hmm. Maybe my, <laughs> my best self today is different than my best self tomorrow or yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, you sort of touched on the fact that this burnout was happening when everything else in the world was happening too. And I think, you know, that's spring 2020 was absolutely a time of burnout for me. And I think that, um, you know, how I knew uh, it was happening was when 
coffee stopped working. Like I would, I would have a coffee and it would literally have no impact on me. Yeah. What are some of the signs that, that might give someone a clue that they're sliding into that dangerous burnout zone where, you know, sort of that mental, mental anxiety and overwhelm is starting to affect the physical body? Yeah. I would say when maybe your appetite, you have a hard time kind of tuning into your appetite when certainly when coffee, if you're a person that drinks coffee, when that has no effect and you feel like you need to spend Sundays completely on the couch. Uh, When kind of like, burnout is kind of a joy thief and you stop being excited about things that used to bring you joy. Um, For me, I love to travel. And we used to travel before pandemic times. We used to travel all the time. And, you know, it got to the point where going away and the idea of like going away and taking vacation felt like a work, like a chore. Um, You may find that workouts that you used to do, um, you you spend a lot of time recovering from, um, or you just don't have the energy, like, to do the workouts that you used to do. You might find that you're getting sick. You might find that no matter how much sleep you get, you still don't feel rested or your sleep is disrupted. Um, You might find that, I I wanna say blood sugar balance is kind of like all over the place in terms of, but, but the symptoms or maybe some things that you might feel around blood sugar imbalance, would be kind of like shaky sensations, uh, getting overly hungry, um, but you're not realizing that you're hungry because you've got a lot of anxiety. (laughs) Um, Or um, feeling super lethargic and having brain fog. So these are signs and symptoms that might come up for you. And then, you know, understanding that maybe if you're um, a cycling person, um, with, with a menstrual cycle, then symptoms around your, your menstrual cycle changing. Maybe there, you have more pain. Um, maybe you're, you're super extremely lethargic during that time. Maybe your flow is completely different. Um, things like that, that you're having more, a more inflammatory experience than you would have prior to, uh, your burnout symptoms, you know, your burnout. Yeah. I think 2020 was really a demonstration of how much stress affects the menstrual cycle. Um, you know, not just, um, in terms of ovulation, cause it does ovulation is really susceptible to stress and that can bounce around. You might ovulate later, you might ovulate earlier, you might not ovulate at all. Um, but in terms of those symptoms, you know, where definitely, you know, have myself been in a place where for years and years now, my periods have been not a big deal at all. Um, And if I'm having those raging symptoms come back, it's like, wait a minute, what did I do? Like, remember that week when you got four hours of sleep that one night, or, you know, remember how you skipped lunch every day, two weeks ago, like, like it all yeah. factors, it's all coming back to me now, you know? Yep. Yep. 
It does. It really, and our, our job as, as like people in bodies is to support our body, right. And to understand and be connected to what, what the, what the body's telling us. And rather than judging, you know, people have so many emotions tied to what's going on with their body rather than judging it. Let's just be curious and be like, okay, what do I need? What am I not getting? Yeah. I think people are always surprised to learn when they're, you know, asking me about working out first thing in the morning or, you know, how to motivate yourself to work out when you don't feel like working out. And it's, you know, often my answer is don't, don't work out. If your body's telling you not to work out, like don't push yourself to work out, maybe do a little bit of stretching, five minutes of stretching and see how that feels. And if it doesn't feel good, go back to the couch because your body's telling you, you need rest, you know? Yes, 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 yes. I, and it was during that time, it was hard for me to separate like, well, I work out for my mental health, like workouts are short. They're great for like mental health, but they are not therapy. (laughs) So uh, your workout should make you feel energized. Yes. They're a challenge to your body and you should, you, you can feel challenged, but at the end of the day, they should energize you. They shouldn't deplete you further. They shouldn't inflame your body. And something that we have to recognize is if you're in a state of burnout, the types of workouts that you need are going to be different. And also, again, if you're a person with a hormonal cycle that shifts throughout a, a, you know, a, a time period, your, your workout needs are going to be dynamic as well. And this expectation that we have to show up 24 seven at the same level all the time is setting us up for failure. It's, it's part of the patriarchy and the patriarchy doesn't work for women. Yeah, you already kind of mentioned, you know, having trouble finding research on women in studies and the bottom line is, and I don't think that a lot of people know this, but studies, clinical trials weren't even required to have women in them until relatively recently. I'm talking the 90s. Um, And so all of these studies where it's like intermittent fasting is great. High intensity interval training is great. It was done on men and menopausal women because they weren't required, you know, menstrual cycles are just too much of a variable for researchers to account for. And so they just didn't. Um, So it's like, there's just, there's just not research on, on it. And I think, um, you know, I always kind of joke that every day is groundhog day for men because they're just like, their hormones are on 24 hour cycles, but ours aren't, um, you know, and it really is important to listen to your body and you are going to feel different. You know, I love that week after my period when I'm energized and I'm jazzed and I'm getting a million things done. It's like, it's great. I wish I could feel like that all four weeks, but you know, that's just not life. That's not what happens. Yeah, it isn't. And I guess, you know, that also is something that I think a lot of women have yet to make peace with (laughs) and just like surrender to the fact of life. (laughs) 
I think, you know, and I, I try to have this conversation with people too, because sometimes, especially around sex drive, I get questions about that all the time. Like I only am in the mood before ovulation and it's like, well, you know, from a evolutionary standpoint, uh, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, we're not, women aren't ready to go, uh, 24 hours a day, every day of the month. Amen. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that it can't be enjoyable and you can't be intimate with your partner during that, during times other than ovulation, but you're not going to have that same drive that you have. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, absolutely. And maybe during that time we focus on like different ways to be, like you said, be intimate or, you know, it might just take a little more, uh, playing around to, to get you into that, having the drive state, but, um, it's dynamic. It fluctuates. Yeah. So we've talked about how burnout can affect menstrual cycles. Are there other ways that burnout affects a person's fertility? Well, from, yeah. So burnout, from that, from a fertility perspective, one, you know, it it kills a libido. (laughs) So your sex drive is going to be pretty flat 24-7. But other than that, you know, burnout is a chronic stress state. And what happens if, if, is if we don't, if we don't actually process our stress or our stressors over time, what this does from a a physiological standpoint is it changes how the mind tells the body what to do. So it changes metabolic function. It changes gut function. It changes how much energy and how we, our ability to make, you know, energy in the body. So how much energy we need, what type of energy we need uh, from food and from, you know, supplementation, but also it changes um, the body's ability to make energy from that, from food. Um, so that's why you're so tired all the time is your body's in overdrive. And then from there, it's changing, you know, every other pathway or diverting nutrients from every, to every other path, from every other pathway. And over time, this wear and tear rides down our resilience to other stressors. So if we're, we're constantly staying in this kind of cycle of stress, Um, And so from like a fertility standpoint, um, it's again, impacting from the gut absorption of nutrients uh, because it's impacting gut function, but it's also impacting estrogen and progesterone levels because we know microbiome at this point impacts estrogen and progesterone regulation. It's impacting liver function Um, and there's estrogen receptors on the liver. So we know that from a liver standpoint, that it's, it's impacting estrogen balance there. We also know that, um, well, the liver's part of, you know, it detoxifies I shouldn't say, you know, the liver is, is responsible for detoxifying the body of excess estrogen or leftover estrogen that we no longer need. So it's impacting estrogen detoxification from there. Um, 
And then from a blood sugar balance standpoint, we know that blood sugar balance is very much tied to our fertility pathway. And so our, when our stress hormones are high or constantly high, or in the case of burnout, you've gone high, but now you're super low. This is impacting um, directly our ability to ovulate. And it, when we don't ovulate, we don't make progesterone or we make too little progesterone. So this can impact implantation. Um, egg quality, uh, ovulation, et cetera. So it's really, a, it's not just a, a system in a silo or in an island, it's, it's a whole body experience. Yeah, and I know, you know, with the thyroid, so most hypothyroid is driven by autoimmune, um, you know, uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, but a small percentage of low thyroid is actually caused by that stress and burnout. And it's, it's that feedback loop that you were talking about where, you know, your brain is basically saying like, I tried to get her to slow down and she's not slowing down. So let me crank down the thyroid production and see if that gets her to slow down. So like now you're like fighting through and you literally have no energy to do it, but you keep going, you know, it's like your brain is progressively screaming at your body in various ways to try to get you to slow down and rest. Yep. I don't know why rest is such a dirty word, you know? (laughs) Uh, Ask Henry Ford. (laughs) You know, living, living in New York city and I know you worked in advertising too. So I'm assuming that the drink cart came around your office around, you know, 3 p.m. on Thursdays and Fridays. Um, We usually had theme drinks. There was like margarita day and all of that. Um, This all could get compounded when you're in this state all the time. And then you get home and you have to have a glass of wine to unwind or maybe two or three glasses of wine to unwind because that's just worsening that whole liver situation that you were talking about. Yeah. The, I mean, the liver is so integral for so many different reasons, um, uh, around fertility, but also around blood sugar balance and just homeostasis, right. Balance. So I really say, if you want to, for, if you want to support your fertility, let's support your liver. Let's, you know, help your liver (laughs) function. (laughs) not, not be poisoning it every day. Right. Certainly. And I'm not, I'm not a person that loves a glass of wine. Um, it's interesting too, because I, my, I feel like my liver needs a lot of support. (laughs) Um, I, I I am very sensitive to alcohol. And so I feel like I'm, if I'm drinking, I'm, I'm doing double time to help my liver get rid of whatever I'm, I'm bringing in. So paying a lot of attention to how to support that detoxification process is really helpful. And that requires, again, blood sugar balance, adequate protein, um, fiber, tons of antioxidants from diet. I love B vitamins, magnesium. They're my besties. Yeah, same. Absolutely. My liver needs a lot of help with all the all the wacky genetic snips I have, um, it just, it doesn't like to methylate unless I give it a lot of love. Um, you know, so kind of leaves me, leaves me stuck, but, uh, you know, 
have to do some things I didn't know I had to do and it's worth it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I think so many, so many people when they're trying to conceive, they get caught up in this idea of the, the perfect fertility diet, but you could be eating the most, and I'm using the word perfect in air quotes here. Um, you could be eating the most perfect diet and it's not just about the food. So, you know, why do you focus so, so hard on that self-care piece of things? I have found that when the self-care, when you make yourself a a priority on your list of things to do, nutrition becomes so much easier. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so easy to override and, and overcommit and put everything first and everything else first on, on your list. But what happens is when we do that is that we completely disconnect from our bodies. We completely override our energetic boundaries. And what, what happens in real life is that you end up skipping lunch. You end up skipping meals. You end up running on coffee. You end up not having energy to make your meals. You end up not being prepared to make your meals because you're too tired to go grocery shopping and put mental energy toward how you want to feed yourself. Your, your pantry isn't stocked with easy, you know, healthy options. It's stocked with reactionary grabs. Um, you end up with more cravings. You're not able to tune in and be mindful. And so when we focus on the self-care aspect, it makes it so much easier to, to, to do all the other stuff. You don't have to overhaul your cabinet. You kind of have to overhaul your relationship with yourself and, uh, your work and, and your relationships that matter in your life. Yeah, I definitely can feel, you know, on those days when I take the time to make myself a real breakfast, like an actual warm breakfast and not just a a five minute smoothie, but it feels like an act of self-care. It feels like I'm loving my body by giving it what it needs first thing in the morning and not just asking it to, you know, continue to produce on coffee and a protein bar, you know? And I think when you, you start with breakfast, right. When you start with this warm, nourishing breakfast to get your day going, it, it sets the tone for regulation in terms of your hormone response, your blood sugar balance, your mental acuity for the rest of the day so that you're not frazzled and fried and, and like hitting a wall at three o'clock or you're not getting home and you're like, oh my God, what happened? I need a bottle of wine to my face right now. Or a bowl of mac and cheese, which is usually my my go-to. I deserve it. I worked hard. I'm just going to bury my face in a bowl of carbs, like that sort of. (laughs) Um, It absolutely, I mean, I can feel my cortisol go down when I eat breakfast in the morning. If I can get myself into that, you know, rest and digest mode where I can actually manage to get nutrition into my body. Like it makes such a difference. I think, you know, something, a a sticking point where I get with clients sometimes or in um, people who are in my program sometimes is thinking about food as a, a 
type of self-care or an, a self-care action that they can take to, you know, nurture themselves. I think sometimes what happens is it's not about the food, like the intention is there to feed ourselves well, but if the underlying self-love isn't there, it's not about the food, you know, like those are the people I feel like really need to be working with the therapist first before they can start to address some of the nutrition stuff, because I can tell you what to eat, but I can't tell you that you're worth feeding yourself nutritious foods. Do you see that? Yes. All the time. I do. And I, you, I want to say like, we are all worthy of feeling healthy and vibrant and good in our bodies. And we don't have to prove ourselves. You have nothing to prove. You don't have to prove your value outside of that in order to nourish your body. Eating is a survival need at its lowest thing. <laughs> so we all need to eat. We all need food. We all, and we deserve to feel good and healthy and we can. It all just goes back to screw the patriarchy, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> why, why have we been made to feel that we don't deserve to eat well. I mean, one of the like fundamental parts of survival that everybody needs to do. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's so convoluted with like, uh, purity and like, uh, desirability and worth as a, as a woman and, um, you know, eating, morality, all of these things are so tied up in eating culture and diet culture and, and hustle culture and patriarchy. Uh, it really is a system systems issue. It's a public health issue. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And, you know, especially, um, you know, for women, so many of us are going through our late teens and early twenties at the very least on restrictive diets or thinking that we should subsist on 1200 calories a day. And there's something wrong with us if we need more food than that to have energy and feel full. Um, so I do think it's just chronic, um, and really deeply embedded. I wouldn't even go into all the like family stuff, family dynamics around food and diets and like what our moms grew up with and what our moms modeled for us, um, particularly those of us who grew up in the 70s, 80s, early 90s. Um, it was a whole different ball game back then. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like it's, it was a whole different ballgame back then. And, you know, you can't fault, we can't fault women because they didn't have, we don't have the knowledge and we didn't have, they didn't have the opportunities and, 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 you know, they were doing the best they, they knew how with what they were given at the time. And now we know better, but um, if you really were to think about and extrapolate, like, burnout culture, nutrition and fertility. And what we, what we see is kids as a kid, I was, I was, um, I'm an eighties kid. So like low fat, no fat. Right. And that's my gener that's like kind of our generation and, and how this is impacting fertility 
rates now, what we're seeing is a lot of infertility. And I think it, I don't think it, there are more and more studies coming out that also show this um, correlation of hustle, stress, career, but all, but on top of that, low fat, no fat, restrictive dieting. And I that's would, just a yeah. shitstorm for fertility. I would add to that, you know, that was around when people started having microwaves in their house and, you know, no, no shade to the microwave. Like the microwave is the working woman's best friend. Cause you can get dinner on the table really quickly. Um, the problem was all of the plastic containers that our food was being microwaved in. Um, you know, we were just eating hormone disruptors, uh, throughout our childhood and teens. And I think, you know, that absolutely is playing a huge role in the rising infertility rates among men and women that are, we're seeing now. Yep, absolutely. Um, endocrine disruptors are huge. Um, and especially when we talk about liver function, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> too. Yeah, you're keeping it, your keeping your bi- liver busy, detoxing all that crap you're feeding it. <laughs> Basically, yeah. the plastics and microplastics. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> As a dietitian working exclusively in women's health. I encourage all of my clients to track their cycles and their symptoms, whether they're trying to conceive or not, because knowledge is power. And I not only recommend Temtrop, but I also use it myself. Temtrop gives you everything you need to effortlessly track your fertility. Wear the Temtrop sensor while you sleep for accurate basal body temperature readings without the stress of early morning wake-ups or having to remember to track at the same time every day. Temtrop's charting app also allows you to chart signs and symptoms in addition to your BBT, including cervical mucus and ovulation tests. Combine these fertility signs all in one place to identify your fertile window, confirm ovulation, plan for your period, or identify pregnancy. Whether you are trying to conceive, are avoiding pregnancy, or want to chart for health reasons, Temptrop makes fertility awareness accessible to all women, even if you don't have regular cycles or sleeping patterns. Identify your fertile window in real time with TempDrop. With TempDrop, know your cycle, understand your body. TempDrop has generously offered my listeners 15% off of the TempDrop kit with the code Hormone Dietitian Podcast. Visit tempdrop.com or use the link in the show notes to access the discount. Back to the episode. Let's talk about a more a more fun topic because I know it's one of your favorite topics too. Is the topic of boundaries? Mm. Why are boundaries important? Why do we have such a hard time setting them? Where could someone start with this whole topic of boundaries? And I know you know this is near and dear to my heart as well. <laughs> I love boundaries. Uh, now I love boundaries. I will say I wasn't always great with my boundaries as well. I was a person that loved to people please that, um, 
chronically said, yes, no problem. I will get it done for you. I will extend myself and make sure that I show up in every way and to support like in relationships more. I feel like I did it, you know, in an uneven way, in an unhealthy way. I was giving of myself to the point of exhaustion and then resentment. Um, and it impacted my relationships with myself, but also with the people that actually I did care about. I, I cared about these relationships, but it came to be detrimental to them. So my biggest, I love boundaries one, because it helps me like in my relationships, uh, <laughs> be a better human. <laughs> but on top of that, my boundaries, I think boundaries are so important when we're talking about stabilizing the the nervous system and taking being able to take ourselves out of chronic fight or flight fawn freeze state um and tapping into okay do i need this don't i need how do i want this do i even want this can i just take a moment and and not commit and automatically say yes and operate from a place of abundance rather than fear um, I think a lot of people, we override our boundaries out of scarcity mindset or fear that we were going to lose our piece of the pie or the opportunity is going to go away or someone is going to be mad at us and we're going to be an inconvenience for asking for what we want. When really what boundaries do is they, they help set us up for being able to thrive um, and feel good and happy and fulfilled. Um, and that ultimately helps us feel healthy and confident in our bodies. And it also helps our bodies operate at a more stable rate. <laughs> um, so many reasons to love boundaries though. I really think they, they allow us to carve out that time to do the things you were mentioning before about, you know, maybe making a grocery list or going to the store and stocking our pantry and our fridge or taking the time to prep some ingredients for the week. Like those are always the things that go first. And most of the times, the reasons why we don't have time to do that are because we're giving, we're saying yes to everything. Um, and every time we're saying yes to somebody else's need, we are taking away from our own time, you know, whether that's meal prepping or shopping or feeding ourselves, but also adequate sleep, time for movement, time for joy, time for, you know, it's a, the whole, the whole thing is, you know, and, and most of the time it's a job. I mean, a lot of the times it's family obligations that people have, and families even harder to set boundaries with, I feel like, but, um, a lot of the times it's, it's for a job and it's like, really like if you work two extra hours a day for your, for the whole year, like they're not going to notice, they're not going to reward you for that. But those are two hours that you could have used for things that your body needs and your fertility needs. Um, and it's just, it's, you know, I know, you know, it's like they, they swear they need you and they'll miss you and X, Y, Z, but it's like, they don't care. They just replace you with the next person and grind that person out after you're done. Well, and I think we're seeing that with the, what is it? The, the great, great resignation. Yeah. 
I'm totally, I'm totally on the board. Yes. Resign, get what you want, get paid. Like, especially women. I mean, we need to get paid, <laughs> pay me for my time, um, pay me what I'm worth. And the, the, this idea, uh, around boundaries, especially in the workplace, like no one's going to give you, no one's going to give you your time. You have got to take it. And that's where boundaries come in. And that's where being assertive comes in. And there's nothing wrong with being assertive and asking for what you want, especially if something isn't working for you in terms of your health and your well-being. You deserve, again, it goes back to you, you are worthy of being healthy and happy um, at the very basic level of things. And um, not everything has to be a fire drill. It just doesn't. Um, and and knowing how to say no can be so freeing and so liberating and it gets easier. And then you realize like, okay, yeah, I got this. I can say no, I can do this. No. And then when you start doing it and it's like no big deal and you're just like, you end up working it up in your mind before you even start saying no, you're like, oh no, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's going to cause this crates, this, this horrible thing, this falling out, they're going to hate me. And no, actually they don't hate you. And what it could actually do is kind of like change the culture of the workplace where people might actually jump on board and eat lunch, not at their desk. <laughs> and then like, you have more productive afternoons because you're not crashing at three, if that's what you want. Or maybe you could leave earlier on time and not stay at the office just because, you know, your boss is staying at the office or whatever. These optics, staying for the optics, like, kills me. Yeah, that was always a thing. Like, I never felt bad about working till 10 p.m. or midnight because my boss was always still there, too. So it's just like what's being modeled in the work culture from the top. You know, it wasn't like I was being expected to do things that they weren't doing. Um, one of the ways that I like to set boundaries and one of the ways I talk about setting boundaries is to identify what my non-negotiables are and then back it up from there and determine who do I need to communicate this with. So um for example, a uh, laptop shut by 7 p.m. is a hard and fast boundary in, in my house. So um, that's just, you know, something I do. And I don't respond to emails after that time. And um, it's just, you know, because when you respond to people after work hours, they just respond right back. And then it's like you've, you're having a whole discussion at 10 p.m. And it's like, this isn't good for my cortisol, you know? Um, are there other strategies? Like how can people figure out where they might need boundaries? I would say, you know, it's different for everybody, but if you are feeling resistance or if it's getting in the way of your basic biological needs, like that's where you start. You're not, if you're not sleeping, if you're not getting enough sleep and you're waking up tired and cranky and like super resentful and dreading your day, investigate that. Um, if you are feeling like you're saying yes, at, but it, it, it exhausts you all the time, like going out and doing obligations for me, it was like, <laughs> I'm very, I, I am like, I know about this. My sleep is my thing. I do not mess with my sleep. So I know that I need X amount of hours of sleep. I need to be in bed by 10. That's my golden hour. 
um, 9.30 is in bed, but 10 o'clock lights out, right? So my plans, if you're having a, a dinner at starting at like 8.39, I'm not going. <laughs> because my sleep is valuable and I am worth feeling good for the rest of the week. And that's it. Unless it's like an awesome costume. I am going to Elton John this week. So I'm making the exception. I probably won't be in bed on Tuesday by, <laughs> by 10, but that's the one exception. <laughs> yeah, I've actually noticed myself with doing um, group programs if, you know, because I'll do, I'll do calls from seven to eight. And oftentimes that's not enough time for me to eat a real dinner and wind down enough to be in bed by that magic 10 p.m. hour, which is also sort of crucial for me. I feel like I don't have a lot of control over the time I wake up. So for me, it's really about, I need to be in bed by that mm -hmm. time to do the best that I can, you know? Yeah. Very and rare exceptions. For that, I would say it's your program. Therefore you get to dictate what that time might be for you. And it's okay if you need to change it down the road, if that's what you want to do, because it's your program and you're the owner. It depends. You get, obviously, I'm not telling you what to do. <laughs> um, but the other thing I was saying is like, in terms of setting boundaries and where to start is like, look at your schedule, you know, so many people don't even look at their schedule um, and before, you know, before agreeing to anything, say, let me check my calendar and get back to you. You do not have to say yes right away. Just say, okay, let me check my calendar. And then you can decide if it's going to work for you. And if it doesn't work for you that week, you can ask for what you need. Um, and people will often meet you where you're at and what you need in terms of your, your scheduling. Um, so that's another big thing that I think people can take away around boundaries is just like, don't say yes right away. It's okay for you to, to check your schedule. Yeah, I also like to, if someone's trying to add more work to your plate, one of my tricks was always to ask them to prioritize what was on my plate. You know, I would say, well, I have this project and that project and that one. So which one's the priority for you? And, you know, I just want to make sure that I get them done in a timely manner. And um, I remember I had one account exec who was like, well, that's a priority and that's a priority and that's a priority. I'm like, okay, well, you have three priorities and only one me who's doing the work. So you need to tell me which one you want first, <laughs> you know, like that's always, it's like, I'm happy to de deliver whatever is possible. Um, you know, but it was like, even if I had worked 24 hours straight, I wouldn't have been able to do all three things by morning, you know, but it's yeah. always good to like, put it back on them to realize like, just how inappropriate the ask is. <laughs> yes. Cause people only know they're not, they don't know. Yeah. Um, they just need to, you need to remind them because you are the owner of your time. Mm -hmm. Even um, in place where it feels like other people own your time or an organization owns your time. Um, it can, you know, it can feel like you have no power in this situation. So trying to find ways in which you can take back some of that power is uh, essential. 
So I want to switch gears a little bit because as you mentioned, you're, you're still a new mom, baby just turned one. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but you know, the postpartum period for you is, was not a hundred percent what you had expected. Um, what, what surprised you the most about that time period? That, okay. So I always, I was very prepared for the fourth trimester. I, I felt very supported. I felt like, um, in terms of like the, the help that we got in terms of my partner being home in terms of like my own therapy, um, and having a good support system. So I was prepared for like fourth trimester shit show. Um, it was really around my relationship with work and thinking <laughs> that, oh, after four months, but your kid's still not sleeping and you, you can go back to work full steam because you're healed six weeks. No problem. You're doing great. You're all, you're all set. You're good to go. When really the reality is, um, you are not healed. <laughs> it takes a year. I just wish more people would say that it takes a year. Just give yourself that year to figure it out because it's not six weeks. It's not four months. Um, and again, the system is set up not in our favor. Um, and a lot of women, new moms are struggling because of the way the system is set up right now. That being said, then I think the, my, the one thing I really wasn't prepared for was my relationship with work and going back to work. So after the fourth trimester was over and I was like, I got this, I'm good. But then I started really trying to shift gears in terms of what my relationship with my, my work was like, um, and how much energy and, and stamina and, um, what the, where it placed on the priority list. I put so much stress into coming back full steam. Um, and I really wasn't prepared for the, the inner turmoil that it brought me around my mindset and my relationship with work and how it tied in with my worthiness and my value as a, a woman in what I want, what I, in an equitable marriage, right? Um, we want to, we want to be equitable, but what does that actually mean <laughs> outside of financials, outside of career, outside of productivity, outside of, well, you did the dishes, so I have to cook sort of thing when you are still healing. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of people talk about that invisible mental burden um, and the decision fatigue where women are just, you know, typically in, in most households, even women are responsible for a lot of things that men don't even think about. Um, we, for example, we would not have had a Christmas here if I didn't do everything. Um, you know, and, and I think when you are in a relationship where your partner is supportive and even a feminist, I told my husband, he was a feminist. He didn't quite believe me. He would never say that, but you know, we divide things up. He does all of the dishes. I do all of the yard work. So it's like, 
you know, it all, we have our split duties when it comes to pet care and things like that, but it's that invisible burden where it's like, okay, well, we wouldn't, wouldn't have even had Christmas if I had to rely on him to do half of it, you know? Um, and that's just, it's not there. I, I guess there is a little bit of resentment there. <laughs> You know, but I think that's the sign when there's that little bit of resentment about what you're doing. Um, absolutely. And I, I also wanted to say that, you know, all of this is happening in the time period we exist in right now, when even if you're not a new mom, day to day, it's a struggle. You know, motivation has ebbs and flow, you know, ebbs and so ebbs and flows or ebbs and lows. I can't even, whatever. It sounds good. Motivation ebbs and flows. And it's like some days you're able to like crank things out and other days not so much. And some of that is dependent on the cyclical changes that are happening too. Um, and I can see how like having this new, you know, priority in your life that, you know, let's be honest, supersedes all of your other priorities. I'm sure you were having some of those like resentful, like, why do I even have to do this? <laughs> like, why do I, you know, it's so hard. Yeah, it's certainly, it definitely is hard. And I mean, that doesn't, we can do hard things and it's hard and, but it, it, it's change. And the biggest thing is in that moment, being resistant to it and fighting and pushing and thinking like that, I just have to work harder. I just have to push harder. I just have to do more isn't necessarily the answer. Um, sometimes the answer is do less. Sometimes the answer is let it come to you. Sometimes the answer is rest. Um, and that is how you get your inspiration and your creativity back after such a depleting time period. Um, but I struggled do, a lot. Not even do less. Sometimes it's, you need to take a look at what you're doing. And I, I find this happens to a lot of business owners is, you know, we're, we're very successful at building a thing. And then we get to that thing and we're looking at it like, what have I done? Like, how did I get here? Like when I have those weeks when literally every day is packed top to bottom with meetings, it's like, this is my worst nightmare. Like, so you have to take a step back and reevaluate and it, it doesn't even become doing, you know, about doing less. It's about what do I need to do differently? What are, yeah. what are the things, you know, how can I shift things to continue doing what I love, which is the work, but also have the time and space to basically perform those basic survival skills, like eating three meals a day and sleeping eight hours a night and moving my body 30 minutes a day. Like if I'm not accomplishing those, I feel like life is just a hot mess dumpster fire, you know? Yeah, I'm a not happy person and I'm not I'm not fun to be around if I'm not <laughs> getting those things. Definitely everybody suffers. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um no, I I I warn people if I've had, you know, even a minute less than 7 hours of sleep, I warn people I'm I'm no fun to be around today. Watch out world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you actually had had some new diagnoses pop up too during that postpartum period where you were you were like things don't feel right, but like more than not right. 
Yeah, I had, um, I was, I was just having a really hard time with sleep. I wasn't sleeping well. My anxiety was through the roof. I, I have a psychiatrist. I have a therapist. Like they're like, okay, I just want you to know that this is coming. You are burnout is happening to you. <laughs> um, and finally I went and had some lab work done just routinely. And, um, my hemoglobin A1C was pre-diabetic. And I was like, okay, you know, at first you're kind of like, duh. For me, I was very much like, of course I am. Of course. Cause that's what we all need right now is me being pre-diabetic. But really it was like, actually, these are the receipts to take a real look at what I need to do differently. And it really, it really was about, um, stabilizing my nervous system and, um, readjusting how I was working, um, and kind of readjusting also my expectations of what work was going to look like over the next period of a few months, because it was starting to really take over everything. And I was missing stuff that matter to me that actually do matter. The work matters and I love it. And I, I am always grateful to be doing what I'm doing. And, and I'm lucky in that it fulfills me, but on the other side of things, like that can't, that can't, it ain't it. Like, that's not my everything. That's not my big why, right? I'm not, my big why is, is, um, you know, my, my family, right? Um, and my friends and my relationships and, and my health. Um, and so when that came back, it was kind of a, a real eye-opener moment for me to be like, okay, let's, let's do some changing. Yeah, sometimes seeing it on paper is like just the kick you need to actually do something about it. Yep, yep, for sure, definitely. Yeah, so how have you shifted things since that happened? Like, how have you made your work more aligned with what your body needs? Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I have a lot going on in my life right now. <laughs> um, so we, so of, we all, right? Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of all the other chaos behind the scenes, we're moving and all these things. So I really just kind of like toned down my, my client load at this point. Um, I am looking at like, again, what time do I need to be done so that I'm not feeling resentful and I'm, you know, after a long day and missing out on some things in my personal life that I feel like I want to be around for, um, social media was a big thing for me. Just like if I wasn't feeling it, I wasn't doing it. Um, and so I put some like hard stops around social media for myself as well um, and readjusted kind of my expectations there. Again, all of these things are dynamic. It's, it's not that um, this is the way it's going to be forever, but for the time being, this is the way it's going to be. And that's okay. You know, yeah, it's really hard when you get to the end of your work day and you have nothing left in the tank to give to the people who actually like you know, mm -hmm. your, your core family. Um, and I think, I'm sorry to cut you off. Some of the other things I was doing 
or I started doing was like cooking. I was going back into the kitchen. We had been relying on meal kits for a long time and I wasn't doing the grocery shopping um, as much. My husband was more in charge of that. And so a lot of those meal kits, I think you do meal kits too, don't you? I do. It's been, typically I, I would use them like once or twice a month, just as kind of a break during busy, Mm -hmm. what I knew were going to be busy weeks. But since the start of the pandemic, we've been doing it weekly because it's like three meals I don't have to worry about. Um, And otherwise my husband does the grocery shopping too. I make him the list with the brand names. I wish I could give him little pictures to like, you know, no, because I get those text messages like what's Tamari and where do I find it? You know, exactly. (laughs) And so I got way more back involved in the kitchen in terms of, you know, our carb quality, looking at my carb quality, looking at with the meal kits. Okay. Well, a lot of them are coming with more processed starchy carbs. Um, and they don't offer a lot of variety in like the vegetable side of things. And so I, now I'm like, okay, we need to add this, this, and this vegetable. We're going to swap out this carb for this carb, you know, and, and just taking more ownership of those practices, um, setting time in my schedule for lunch. I was for a long time skipping lunch or overriding my hunger cues until like two o'clock when I would look up and be like, uh Oh, bad things are going to (laughs) happen. So those things that are so integral and important and some of the foundation of, of what I do and preach weren't happening for a long time, a few months because of this new trans, you know, my, my life was just kind of in upheaval and I was figuring it out. Um, so it, it was good to be reminded. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do the same with, uh, the meal kits. I, I do find often they don't come with enough vegetables for my liking, or, um, I do like a nice quality carb with my dinner. And sometimes they're more like paleo-ish where it, it won't have a carb on the side. So I need my pasta or my, my rice or my quinoa or my potato, like on the side with dinner, my, my adrenals need that, you know? So, um, yeah, always supplementing those as well. Um, but yeah, it's been, been a lifesaver. It makes such a difference when you're in the kitchen. I actually love grocery shopping. I love, or I used to love grocery shopping and wandering and finding new things and reading all the labels. Like I, I, I really do. I used to go to Trader Joe's and call it um, Trader Joe's therapy on Friday nights when my husband had basketball games. Uh, it was like a treat for me to go. And now it's just, it's not fun. You're hot. You're in a mask. I'm just trying to get in and out as fast as possible. I actually had like literal parking lot panic attacks um, a few times in 2020. And so he just like took it over because he was like, I can, I can handle this better than you can right now. But I do like, I really enjoy going when I have time and I'm not stressed about it. Um, I love the farmer's market. That's definitely a happy place too. It's the best. I do love the farmer's market. That's a happy place for me. I love going. It's just makes me like so happy to get to know like it's local and I now know the people that are like feeding me and it just makes me feel more connected to my food. Um, so that was another thing is like, yeah, going back to our farmer's market and then like adjusting my workouts a little bit. I, uh, 
I actually started working out more. Um, I started doing more yoga um, and getting more movement in, in terms of like walking outside. I work out three times a week with a, a you know, as a, in a more concentrated, like strength training sense. Um, but I started adding boxing back in because I love like that side mm. of thing. I love boxing. I used to teach boxing. Um, and I added yoga back in to support the, you know, my nervous system. And then, you know, just making sure I was getting up from my desk during the day to, to get outside. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, just living in New York too, um, how much walking you get just basic day-to-day life. It's, it's so much more, um, than in other places in the country where people don't walk all the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. You are out walking with baby sometimes in, in the mornings, right? I usually, I used to, I was going for walks. Like that was my morning ritual is to have breakfast and walk in the park. Um, but I banged up my ankle. So I'm in a boot right now. It's been below 20 degrees here. So I'm not that hardcore. Like once (laughs) it goes above 40, I'll Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't want to keep you much longer. So why don't you tell the audience where they can find you? And I will link to um, Kelly's offered to share um, a free burnout and fertility class with my audience. So I will post the link to that in the show notes. So you can absolutely go check that out, but let them know where they can find your website and social media. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at womanup.wellness. Um, and then, um, uh, my website is Callie at CallieExist.com. And what was the other thing? No, I'm forgetting. Sorry. Yeah. Social media website. I got your free class. We're all set. Yeah. Yeah. Check me out. Let's chat. If you have questions around burnout and fertility, I am happy to chat and burn down the system with you. Yes. I love Kelly's uh, social media, her Instagram. That's how we first got to know each other. So highly recommend you go check it out and give her a follow because she's one of my peeps that I trust. So uh, thank you so much for having me. Check it out. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. Um, Thank you to everyone for listening. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, stay balanced.